Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 5th, 1852. In St. Petersburg, the new Hermitage Museum opened to the public. It was the first art museum in Russia and probably the first art gallery in Eastern Europe built specifically to house museum collections. Emperor Nicholas I commissioned German neoclassicist architect Leo von Klins to design the public museum and architects Nikolai Yefimov and Vasily Stasov oversaw its construction. The building was grand, with its colonnaded entrance and Baroque ornamentation. And it was home to a lot of impressive art, like Egyptian antiquities and Renaissance works. Catherine the Great founded the Hermitage in 1764, when she bought a collection of art that was supposed to go to King Frederick II of Prussia. She acquired hundreds of paintings, mostly from Flemish and Dutch artists. They included works by Rembrandt, Peter Paul Rubens, Anthony Van Dyck, and a bunch of other guys who made sought-after artworks. But even though the Hermitage was a marvel of art from all over the world, it was also a shiny symbol of power and class. When Catherine II started the collection in 1764, it was a private court museum. There weren't many people who were allowed to see the work. Catherine even called the gallery My Hermitage because of its exclusivity. The Empress's initial acquisition was an impressive hall of old masters but she didn't stop there. She acquired Heinrich Count von Brühl's collection from Saxony, and she bought a collection of paintings from Pierre Crozat in France. And in 1779, she bought hundreds of pieces from British Prime Minister Sir Robert Walpole's collection. By the end of the 18th century, Catherine was swimming in painted masterpieces, gems, cameos, sculptures, drawings, books, coins, and other super important and expensive artifacts. Catherine had to have somewhere to put all those splendid items. So she commissioned the construction of the Great Hermitage, a building that was finished in 1787. By the time Catherine the Great died in 1796, the Imperial Art Collection was massive. She was a dedicated patron of the arts. That said, the social structure in Russia under her reign was troubled, even though the Hermitage's collection was a showy display of Russian enlightenment. Over the years, the collection expanded to include Greek and Scythian relics and other antiquities. So to make more room for the ever-growing collection, Nicholas I called for the construction of the new hermitage, which took about a decade to be built. After the new hermitage opened to the public in 1852, the museum continued to add notable artworks to its collection, 
including pieces by da Vinci and Italian painter Raphael. But change was coming. After the 1917 revolution in Russia, the imperial hermitage and many private art collections became property of the Soviet state. A lot of that newly acquired art was sent to the hermitage, including more works by old masters, Cubist pieces by Picasso, and works by Matisse and Van Gogh. At the same time, Stalin carelessly sold a bunch of valuable masterpieces, like The Annunciation by Jan van Eyck and Adoration of the Magi by Botticelli. The Hermitage also suffered some losses when the building became a target during World War II. But when the Second World War ended in 1945, the Russian government tried to exact a sort of cultural revenge for their artistic losses. The Hermitage was given dozens of Impressionist and Post-Impressionist paintings that the Red Army had seized from private German collections. These looted artworks were boldly put on display at the Hermitage in 1995 in an exhibition called Hidden Treasures Revealed. Today, the Hermitage is home to almost three million items from prehistoric to modern art. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class a show where we peel back a new layer of history every day. The day was February 5th, 1958. The U.S. Air Force lost a nuclear bomb in the waters near Tybee Island off the coast of Georgia. Though fake news stories claiming that the bomb had been found have emerged, the bomb is considered lost. That day, a B-47 bomber under the command of Major Howard Richardson was flying a simulated combat mission from Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. The plane was carrying a Mark 15 thermonuclear bomb that weighed more than 7,000 pounds to make the simulation more realistic. The bomb contained 400 pounds of high explosives as well as enriched uranium and other nuclear material. The bomb may have had a plutonium nuclear core, or it may have had a demi-core installed. If it did have its nuclear capsule, an explosion could cause serious damage and injury for miles. Early that morning, before sunrise, an F-86 fighter jet out of Charleston accidentally collided with Richardson's B-47. The fighter jet's pilot, Lieutenant Clarence Stewart, did not see the bomber on its radar. The left wing ripped off of the F-86, and the B-47's fuel tanks were badly damaged. Stewart ejected from the fighter and landed in the Savannah River swamp. Though he survived the landing, he was severely frostbitten. The F-86 landed in a field in Georgia. As Richardson attempted to regain control of the B-47, he requested an emergency landing at Hunter Air Force Base in Savannah. But the runway was under repair. Richardson did not want the bomb to break loose on an emergency landing, and he wanted the crew to survive. So he decided to let go of the bomb over the ocean before landing at Hunter. 
There was no explosion when the bomb entered the ocean, just off Tybee Island, and they landed safely at Hunter. For his efforts, Richardson got the Distinguished Flying Cross, a decoration awarded to officers when they show heroism or extraordinary achievement during flight. The Navy searched for the lost bomb for two months but could not find it. Officials believe it's buried under silt at Wasaw Sound, a bay off Tybee. In a letter the Assistant Secretary of Defense wrote to a congressional committee in 1966, the Tybee bomb was identified as a, quote, complete weapon. But the Air Force maintained that the bomb did not have a nuclear capsule and is not considered dangerous. It also said that starting a search for the bomb would have unwanted effects on the environment and could be risky, considering the explosives in the bomb. They suggested that it's best left undisturbed. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Or you can go the old-fashioned route and send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.